All right, great. Well, thank you. Thank you. And uh, welcome, everyone. Uh, I am Mike Ellis, Selber's Associate Minister of Mental Health and Addictions. I am uh, joined uh, today by some of our respected health partners who are here to speak as experts in their fields. I have with me uh, Dr. Rob Tangay. Uh, he is a respected uh, psychiatrist, uh, the medical director of the Newley Institute and co-lead of Alberta's pain strategy. I have also with me Dr. Nathaniel Day. He is the medical director of Alberta's award-winning virtual opioid dependency program with Alberta Health Services. And uh, David uh, Fascinato, uh, he is the executive director of Heroic Hearts Project Canada. I'm very pleased to be announcing important changes to the Mental Health Services Protection Regulation that will strengthen our recovery-oriented system of care right here in Alberta. Both of the changes we are announcing today share a common goal, protecting our communities and ensuring a higher quality of care for patients. The first change today relates to the evolving field of psychedelic-assisted therapy. I am proud to say that Alberta will be the first jurisdiction in Canada to protect Albertans and support innovation by introducing quality standards for psychedelic-assisted therapy. While further study is required, there is promising research on the use of psychedelic-assisted therapy to treat a range of mental health conditions, including post-traumatic uh, stress disorder, and treatment-resistant uh, depression. Uh, some of the strongest supporters are among first responders and veterans uh, who suffer from high rates of PTSD and other mental health conditions. As a former police officer myself, I want to ensure that uh, if there are promising practices to make life better for people with these conditions, that we are supporting them in a professional way. But the fact does remain, psychedelic drugs carry risks. Uh, their mind-altering properties mean patients are more vulnerable during treatment and the risks of physical and mental harm do increase. These harms include a heightened risk of accidental injury or violence, but they also include the risk of improper care or even abuse by a care provider. Because of these risks, uh, we are ensuring proper safeguards and expert medical oversight are in place. The updated regulation introduces new quality standards for providing uh, for providers offering psychedelic uh, drug treatments, specifically for mental health conditions. Uh, these uh, quality standards were developed with input from uh, experts in health, industry, and academia and in close conversations with the regulatory colleges that oversee physicians, pharmacists, and other health professionals. Moving forward, uh, providers of psychedelic-assisted therapy must be licensed and employ expert, uh, experts with appropriate qualifications and training. Uh, we have deliberately set a high bar for psychedelic drug treatment in Alberta, one that is necessary to ensure patient safety. It's uh, what we owe Albertans. And we're proud to be the first province in Canada to protect, uh, uh, put protections in place for Albertans who are accessing, accessing psychedelic-assisted therapy. The second change uh, is under the uh, updated regulation related uh, to the use of high-risk opioids to treat severe opioid addiction. Alberta's government has been unwavering in our commitment to helping Albertans get the support that they need to pursue recovery from addiction. We have championed evidence-based treatments, and we've made accessing these treatments uh, available to everyone. Whether it's publicly funded detox, uh, residential addiction treatment, or making opioid agonist medications easier than ever before. Uh, 
So today, Alberta's government is taking bold action to protect our communities from diversion of dangerous opioids, while also improving access to narcotic transition services for people with severe opioid addiction. The Community Protection and Opioid Stewardship Standards are a first of their kind. Uh, It's a first standard in Canada that will improve the way opioids are used to treat addiction. These standards come after very significant consultation with experts in addiction medicine, uh, learnings from the last 20 years in our communities, and reviewing best practices from across the world, including the often talked about Swiss model. It is no secret that opioid addiction crisis that we see began when high-risk opioids began being used in communities, uh, community settings in the early 2000s. And I'm proud to say, that earlier this year, a historic class action settlement was reached with opioid manufacturer Purdue Pharma to help uh, recover health care costs resulting from the manufacturing and distribution of these high-risk opioids. The lessons learned, including the harms caused by diversion of high-risk opioids, are more relevant today than ever before. And that's why we plan to use a portion of the settlement awarded to Alberta to fund narcotic transition services across the province. This will ensure that we never forget and we never repeat the mistakes made during the early years of the opioid crisis. Narcotic transition services are highly specialized services only for people with severe opioid addiction who have been unable to initiate or stabilize on conventional opioid agonist therapies. In some cases, high-potency Opioid narcotics are prescribed as part of their treatment. These drugs are highly addictive, and they carry significant risks to both the patients and the public if diverted. The medical experts we consulted agree. When it comes to these drugs, the risk to patient and to, the, to our communities is simply too high. The community standards, uh, pardon me, the community protection and opioid uh, stewardship standards will ensure the risk of diversion is minimized while increasing access to high quality care for those with severe opioid addiction. With certain exceptions, Alberta Health Services is now the only licensed service provider that can treat a person for severe opioid addiction using high risk opioids. So before beginning narcotic transition services, patients will receive an assessment. Uh, and a specialized treatment plan with access to recovery-oriented supports. The goal is to stabilize and transition patients from high-potency narcotics to evidence-based opioid agonist treatment medications, such as Suboxone and Sublocate. Narcotic transition services are only for the most severe cases of opioid addiction. The vast majority of Albertans with opioid addiction are able to successfully stabilize and enter recovery with evidence-based OAT medications such as Suboxone and Methadone. Any Albertan can access these gold standard treatments on demand through the Virtual Opioid Dependency Program. These changes uh, we are making today show that we continue to urgently respond to the addiction crisis in our province. We're taking steps to protect patients and communities from the risks of high-risk opioids while still providing evidence-based care to those who need it. In consultation with experts in addiction medicine uh, and reviewing best practices from across the world, including the Swiss model, I am very confident that this is the best path forward for Alberta. 
The final part of today's announcement has to do with how chronic pain is treated here in Alberta. The regulatory changes announced today will not, Im- will not impact patients receiving treatment for pain or other illness. The Community Protection and Opioid Stewardship Standards only apply to high-risk opioids being prescribed or dispensed for severe opioid addiction. Thousands of Albertans suffer from chronic pain. And too many lack uh, access to effective evidence-based treatment. So today, we're announcing an investment of $500,000 to help create a provincial pain program. Building on the Alberta Pain Strategy, the program will focus on preventing chronic pain and building capacity across this province. The new virtual programs will improve uh, and expand access to chronic pain services, especially for those in rural and remote areas. The new model builds off the success of the Virtual Opioid Dependency Program, which delivers life-saving addiction treatment using telehealth. Finally, uh, since uh, prescription opioids play an important role in treating chronic pain, the Provincial Pain Program will support the responsible use of opioid in pain management, improving uh, responsible uh, de-prescribing uh, practices, and increase access to non-opioid therapies to help prevent misuse, uh, prevent misuse uh, or addiction. So we are uh, looking forward to helping more Albertans uh, find effective treatment options, uh, high-quality care, and relief from chronic pain. So from new protections for patients undergoing psychedelic uh, drug treatment and narcotic transition services to investment that strengthen our support for people living with chronic pain, the actions announced today help us deliver on our promise to keep our communities safe while exploring all evidence-based options to support Albertans in their pursuit of recovery. So with that, I would like to now invite uh, Dr. Nathaniel D. to say a few words. Thank you. Uh, Thank you, Minister Ellis. Uh, Thank you for the opportunity to speak today. Addiction is a complex and multifaceted issue that requires us to consider every tool that we have to help people. Every person deserves the opportunity to stabilize and achieve their own meaningful recovery goals. Opioid agonist therapy is the gold standard of care. It is proven to work as a harm reduction tool and as an entry point for people with opioid addiction to achieve sustained and positive change in their lives. Opioid agonist therapy is known to reduce all-cause mortality, or in other words, it reduces the risk of death for a person of any cause including overdose, by more than 50%. Everything we do should encourage our community and family members with opioid addiction to access and use evidence-based opioid agonist therapy. The Narcotic Transition Services will do just that. This is a gateway for people with extremely severe opioid use disorder, or, in other words, extremely severe opioid addiction, who have struggled to stabilize with our proven tools, an opportunity to receive high-potency opioids in order to stabilize their addiction in a supervised and controlled setting in an effort to help provide them with wraparound care that supports their health care and allows them to stop using street-obtained opioids and then transition into proven evidence-based strategies. In our effort to support those most affected by the illness of opioid addiction, we must ensure that we do not inadvertently cause harm to our communities. We must ensure that children and youth, young adults and others,
who have never used opioids or who use opioids recreationally understand that they should not start these drugs and that if they can, they should stop them. No opioid, whether it's prescribed or not, should be taken casually. All opioids risk causing addiction. None of them are safe for casual or recreational use. None of them should be used without careful consideration of the risks and benefits. The Narcotic Transition Services intend to help those who are already experiencing severe and treatment-resistant opioid use disorder with a new and carefully considered option to stabilize and transition into evidence-based treatment. Let me say it again. Evidence-based treatment is key to helping people with addiction. For those with extreme and severe opioid addiction, high-potency opioids may be necessary to help them stabilize. But without medical oversight, those same medications carry substantial risk to public health and safety. My expectation is that our narcotic transition services will help our most vulnerable patients and serve as a stepping stone towards recovery while still protecting the public from unintended unintended harm. Narcotic transition services will address the challenges of our most vulnerable opioid-taking population while still making every effort to protect public safety and well-being. Almost all Albertans have personally been affected or know someone who has been affected by the opioid epidemic we currently face. Much has been done to help. Gap medication coverage, emergency department starts, same-day access to assessment and treatment through VODP, naloxone provision, licensing and accreditation of addiction service providers, expansion of treatment spaces, new recovery communities, public access to data with health analytics, treatment availability in police holding cells, and many other initiatives are all working together to address this challenge. Narcotic transition services add to this list. My message to Albertans listening, watching, or reading about this is that there is hope. People can and do recover from this challenge every day. If you or a loved one is struggling with opioid use, you can get help now by calling the Virtual Opioid Dependency Program. There is no cost and there's no wait list. For those with severe illness who have struggled to stabilize with our safe and effective first and second line treatment options, help is coming. You may be eligible to stabilize using the new narcotic transition services. Recovery from addiction is real and all around us. I'm inspired by the efforts of those who are working towards their personal recovery goals. Thank you. No formal introduction. Um, Thank you for joining us. Uh, Thank you, uh, Dr. Day, and and of course, Minister, for having me to discuss. Uh, I've been lucky enough... um, to be involved in the Narcotic Transition Services uh, working group and and experts from across the country uh, in addiction medicine uh, and in mental health working at that process. Uh, Also in the psychedelics, and uh, I think that this is one of our futures. This is something that psychiatry has needed for a long time, is is a new way of supporting and helping all those people who are affected by uh, mental health disorders such as mood, anxiety, and PTSD. Uh, But importantly, when we talk about uh, shifts in in narcotic transition services, we've also got to talk about all those people living with pain. 
Approximately 800,000 Albertans currently live with pain at this time. Many of them are supported by opioid treatments that provide them a quality of life and a standard that we should be allowing them to have so that they can go on with their day-to-day employment or uh, other aspects of their lives that become more functional. Uh, Often we've seen when we start looking at at opioids and opioid prescribing, we start looking at uh, those individuals who often need it the most, and they are often harmed the most. We didn't do it this time and instead put people living with pain first. Access, no matter where you live in Alberta. This is so important as health inequities do occur in our rural populations, and we are going to eliminate that. Again, stealing from the VODP, but learning about how important virtual care can be. Canada's first provincial pain program will provide the ultimate supports in a biopsychosocial and spiritual format a true holistic aspect to treating pain in an interdisciplinary format, not just a biomedical process of prescribing a a medication. Uh, This is going to be so huge for so many people who require it. And this is based on Canada's most comprehensive pain strategy, the Alberta Pain Strategy. And uh, a shout out to Dr. John Pereira, who is former president of the Pain Society of Alberta, who started this process. And of course, to Tracy Wasilak, who, uh, along with Alberta Health Services and the Strategic Clinical Networks, really allowed the strategy to move into now an operational reality. And most importantly, to uh, Alberta Health and the government of Alberta, who's allowed this to move forward so that we can support all those people living with pain. We will have a dedicated health link line, so you'll be able to access it. Hang in there. That'll be coming soon. And uh, we'll be supporting the Alberta Surgery Initiative as well. All those people who've been waiting with pain to get surgery, this is moving up, but also supporting them afterwards. If there's any post-surgical pain, any prescribing that is required afterwards, and anybody who's struggling with chronic post-surgical pain will be immediately identified and treated through this process as well. Uh, Again, putting Albertans first. So uh, a big shout-out to Alberta Health Services, who have been so supportive of this, the Pain Society of Alberta, and the Government of Alberta for allowing Canada's first provincial pain program. We heard a little bit about hope. I think this is the most important thing. I often talk about hope as hang-on pain ends. And this is true when we think about mental health. This is true when we think about addiction. But it's also true when we think about the people who are involved in treating this area. To have hope and to have all the access available to prescribing whatever medication is required to help stabilize and support that individual is so important. And for the first time, all of our specialist addiction medicine physicians and their allied support staff in an interdisciplinary model will have full access to all treatment narratives available, whether it's using a a usually dangerous opioid to stabilize that individual, all the way to looking at deprescribing and recovery. Uh, And this is so important. So the hope is actually as much towards our treating professionals as it is towards those who are wondering if they'll ever get well again. You can and you will. Finally, on the psychedelic spectrum, again, this is our future. This is another new tool, but 
it comes with risks as well. Individuals, uh, when taking the medication, are in a vulnerable state, and we need to protect everyone during that process. At the same time, Alberta being the first province to step up and say, not only do we see this as something that's coming and part of the future, but we're going to make sure it's done right. And that is what's so incredible, led by psychiatrists uh, on the prescribing aspect and by regulated, registered uh, healthcare providers. So it won't just be internet-based uh, processing, but true evidence-based treatments available for all those who need it the most. Uh, this is really quite incredible and, again, shows the leadership that we've got here. So thank you and uh, really looking forward for those living with pain, living with addiction, and living with mental health to have new avenues and new access so that they have hope. Uh, thank you for the introduction, Dr. Tangay, and thank you again for inviting me to speak today. My name is David Fashionado, and I'm a veteran of the Canadian Armed Forces and Executive Director of Heroic Hearts Project Canada. By way of introductions, we are a registered charity that connects veterans to psychedelic-assisted therapies. Our programs will leverage existing medically regulated pathways to legally access safe and effective psychedelic therapies. This includes facilitating access for qualified veterans to vetted clinics that provide intense outpatient programs with psychedelic therapy and supporting innovative research and clinical trials that contribute to the growing base of evidence on the impacts of psychedelic therapies on veteran well-being and health. Heroic Hearts Project Canada exists because we're living through a perpetual mental health crisis that's affecting all Canadians and disproportionately impacts Canadian veterans. As a community, we suffer from elevated suicide, elevated rates of suicide, traumatic brain injury, post-traumatic stress, treatment-resistant depression and anxiety, not to mention increased reliance on pharmacological interventions. The resurgence of research on the promising impacts of psychedelic-assisted therapy could not have better timing. At Heroic Hearts Project Canada, we believe that Canadian veterans can play a distinct role in contributing to the public discourse on the role of psychedelics in healing our communities. We will do this by contributing to the expanding research and evidence on the impact of psychedelics. In the months ahead, Heroic Hearts Project Canada will play a growing role by contributing to an informed, evidence-based discussion regarding equitable access to legal, safe, regulated, and affordable psychedelic therapies. While we are a new organization in the Canadian veteran space, we're building off a successful model that's made a real difference in the lives of veterans in both the U.S. and the U.K. Here in Canada, we're on track to become the resource for veterans interested in improving their health and wellness through psychedelic-assisted therapy, and we'll be launching our first pilot projects and programs for qualified veterans in early 2023. The announcement today from Minister Ellis represents a progressive step towards ensuring safe and effective access to psychedelic therapies for all Canadians. This raises the bar on the standard of care that Albertans can expect from their mental health and healthcare systems and reflects another positive development in the broader psychedelic space that will help to destigmatize psychedelics while improving patient safety and access. It is my sincere hope that this announcement inspires other jurisdictions in Canada and abroad, to follow suit by promoting evidence-based therapeutic approaches that can improve the health and wellness of veterans and opens the door to additional communities that will stand to benefit from equitable access to legal, safe, regulated, and affordable psychedelic therapies. Thank you.
Thank you. Am I on here? I think I am. Uh, we're now going to go to questions from the media. So uh, just a reminder to everyone in person and on the line, we'll have time for one question, one follow-up. Please just remember to state your name, uh, the outlet, <coughs> and, you know, if possible, who your question is directed to. So we're going to start here in the room with Janet. You can go ahead. CBC, uh, first question for Associate Minister Ellis. So if you could just clarify um, that the the program for high-potency treatment for opioid dependency, um, that that would no longer be happening with take-home doses. How much do you think that that will affect people's willingness to participate in that kind of higher-risk program if they can't take that dose, like they have to do it at the clinic? Well, look, we're very fortunate that we have some experts here, so I'm going to get them to supplement. But I think it's very, uh, you know, if we take some of the, the, the learnings from our uh, safe supply committee, the risk of the diversion to the community was extremely high, uh, and uh, we need to minimize that risk. So ensuring that it is in a, um, a medical-based setting, uh, certainly monitored by uh, experts in uh, addiction medicine, such, such as that you see before me, to make sure that that is taken, that's only going to help that person tra- transition into evidence-based medication. But I'll ask one of these doctors to supplement. Thank you. Go ahead, I really appreciate the question. I I think that it's uh, important for us to recognize that this is new funding, added resource to support a very vulnerable population of people uh, who may well benefit from these services. And uh, while you're absolutely right, we're uh, requiring that these medications be taken on site and under supervision, that's for very good reason. Uh, Those reasons include the safety of the person who's consuming the highly potent, uh, dangerous medication that could result in their overdose and death, first and foremost. But secondly, we're also trying to protect our communities. If we look at the risk factors for a young person to decide to use a new drug, there are three major risk factors that we are concerned about. The first is, is that the person must have access to the drug. The second is that the cost of the drug needs to be relatively low. And then third is that the person needs to perceive the drug as being uh, relatively safe. So their perception of harm impacts whether or not they're willing to take that drug for a first time. If we're not careful with these high-potency opioids and they end up in our communities, on our streets, we risk increasing access, lowering costs of the drugs, and inadvertently communicating to our young people and people who have not started using opioids that these medications, because they were prescribed, are somehow safe. And we just can't do that. We need to make sure that, you know, while we're doing everything we can to help people who are drowning in the river of opioids that exists in in this uh, province and in our country and in North America, while we do everything we can to support people, We also need to make sure that we're not inadvertently welcoming more people to swim in that river. Uh, At the end of the day, we're hoping that we can actually come to a conclusion uh, at some at some future date where uh, the opioid crisis isn't a primary topic of conversation for us. Thanks. And Janet, did you have a follow-up? Yeah, I think this is for Dr. Tangi. I think you said that you do prescribe um, psychedelics to patients. Is that correct? Yeah. So um, that's not the question. I just want to make okay. sure you're qualified for the question. <laughs> okay. How will how will these standards change how that happens? Like, paint a picture for me in practice. What what actually changes on the ground? 
Well, I, I think there's uh, a lot of people who go online and print off a certificate saying they're now an expert in a certain area. Uh, when it's unregulated, then they're allowed to do so. Uh, under what we've put together here, uh, this is protecting individuals from unregulated uh, individuals providing you know, non-evidence-based uh, therapies or I don't therapy is not even probably the right word, but uh, counseling or, or something uh, in, in the setting of psychedelics. Um, I think at the end of the day, uh, it moves us forward in uh, increasing the amount of access and putting structure behind what we're supposed to be doing. Uh, and most importantly, protecting those individuals who are under the influence while in, in treatment. Uh, the risk is much lower with a regulated psychologist who's registered with their college than someone who printed something off of the uh, Internet and then, you know, went onto the Internet and advertised, I'm a psychedelic therapist, come see me. And we know that's happening. We know it's happening all over North America and, and likely the world. Uh, and we want to make sure that uh, those individuals who are accessing this kind of treatment know it's going to be safe. And that's what this is really about. Thanks. Sarah? Hello. Sarah Ryan with Global News. Dr. Day, I think this is a question for you. It's kind of following on, on Janice's question. Um, so if people aren't able to take these high-potency opioids home and they have to come into a treatment setting, we know often vulnerable people have trouble with mobility. So can you explain to us how often someone would have to come in if they were on a high-potency treatment? Yeah, so uh, thanks for the question. It depends on the individual situation and, you know, the person's uh, disease and what medications are being chosen to use to support them. It's not hard to imagine us needing to use a combination of medications, including long-acting products, to support a person while they're not at the clinic, along with uh, the short-acting high-potency opioids that would be provided as part of the narcotic transition service. I think that it's uh, really important for us to recognize that uh, fundamentally this ends up being a healthcare concern between a uh, healthcare provider and a patient, and uh, there'll, there'll be some discussion and some work towards what exactly will it will look like for an, for an individual. Um, we're not trying to make it so a person can you know has to live at the clinic in order to feel well, uh, but at the same time we have to balance their needs and. Uh, uh, the importance of helping them stabilize their addiction with the uh, general uh, safety and well-being of the community in which they live. And do you have a follow-up? I do. Oh, sorry. Just, just add to that. You know, there's there's some great programs around the country that are are funded in different ways, uh, but they support small subsections of patients in small little areas. Uh, the advantage of Alberta Health Services is that we're a centralized healthcare system, unlike most other provinces. Uh, and when we roll something out like this, this is actually accessible to everyone, unlike most of the programs that are out there. But it also is going to take us time to learn and to adjust as we're going and to, as, as Dr. Day said so clearly, make sure we're still protecting the community. So it, it's that combination that for the first time, an entire province has an accessibility to a narcotic that may help stabilize them, an opioid that may change their life. Uh, unlike people having to, you know, go to a certain city to find a certain clinic at a certain block and hope that they can get in. There's, there's no, no worries there. Hope is real for everyone. 
Did you have a follow-up? I do, and this might be for Associate Mr. Ellis. Um, you mentioned early on, um, obviously, David here talking about veterans and the psychedelics. Mm -hmm. Can you talk about what you've heard from the first responder community and, and their interest in this? Oh, yes, absolutely. Uh, happy to, as you are aware, I am a, a former first responder myself, and um, I've heard very um, loudly from uh, folks, uh, former colleagues of mine, um, other first responders in different jurisdictions. I know Dr. Tangay has heard from other first responders and, and, and military personnel all throughout Canada, quite frankly. And, you know, uh, people need to understand that some of the, some of the things that people witness uh, as a first responder is almost unimaginable. Uh, to 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 most people, and um, they take that home with them, and that affects their lives uh, both uh, both at work and personally. And some some folks, unfortunately, go on long term disability as a result of that. And you know, one of the remarkable things that I've seen through uh, not just Dr. Tangay but also uh, other work in in the work of psychedelics is that through this sort of treatment, they're seeing results and positive results that are not only helping folks uh, with, their, with their trauma that they faced as a result of the job that they were doing, but also getting them back to work, which is something that helps them in the long run as well. Thank you. Yeah. Go ahead. You can stop. Just, just to add on it, Alberta WCB has been a leader across the country when it comes to traumatic psychological injuries. Uh, already there's, there's significant access and, and uh, newer programs that have shown much better outcomes and benefits uh, just by intensifying the amount of therapy and the access to it. Um, you know, psychedelics in this realm is, is uh, still exploratory and, and research-based. Absolutely as put, the data is incredible. The outcomes look great. And, you know, some of the, the conferences that we're seeing nowadays in, in medicine and occupational areas is, is this something that we should be using to help people get back to work? Uh, in some provinces, this is happening, and it's coming along, uh, but WCB has been uh, insurmountable uh, amount of resources into supporting individuals who are first responders and struggling with mental health. Uh, and both Alberta or both Edmonton and Calgary uh, have novel programs under the Newley Institute that are doing exactly that. Uh, but it's got to be step by step, and I think we're getting there. Thank you. Thanks so much. We're going to jump over to the phones here. So, operator, if you could please put through the first caller. Annie Yonker, Edmonton Journal. Hi. Um, on the narcotic transition services issue, um, I'm still focused on are you concerned, you know, that this could increase barriers or reduce access for patients um, who are currently on this and will now have to go to a facility? Um, what, what is being done to, to mitigate that? Um, I know the doctors likely want to supplement this, but uh, no, I mean, we're... We're, we're ensuring that people uh, have access to this, that they're able to transition into evidence-based medication and, of course, in a pathway to wellness. And I think, it's, I think what both doctors have indicated very clearly here is that there is hope out there. There is a hope for wellness, there, as opposed to the alternative, which is keeping people in perpetual states of pain and suffering. So um, I know, Dr. Day, I know you'd like to say something. 
Yeah, thanks. Thanks for that. I, I'd, I'd like to reiterate, this is new funding, new resources, new spaces so that we can actually provide this uh, care to people who have not been able to access it in the past. Uh, that, that's, that's first and foremost. Uh, secondly, though, I think that it's also really important for us to recognize, as Dr. Tangay was alluding to, that we're actually increasing access to this service across the province. This is not just an Edmonton clinic issue or a Calgary clinic issue. We are going to have the opportunity for NTS services to be available in every zone of this province, care that has never been offered before. Uh, so I, I, I think that uh, full stop, we need to recognize that this is uh, effort to make this more accessible. The, se the second part to this, and it, it, it re reminds me, honestly, of when we started the virtual opioid dependency program several years ago now, five years ago. Uh, at that time, people in rural Alberta needed to travel into Edmonton or Calgary or other regional centers just to get evidence-based gold standard treatment for addiction. And in Alberta, we said that that wasn't good enough. We were tired of seeing people die of opioid overdoses who never had access to medication options that could reduce their, over, their overdose death risk by more than 50%. And so we worked tirelessly over the last number of years to bring care to people where they were at. And we've learned a lot on, along the way. Gone are the days where someone living in Drayton Valley needs to hop in their car in the middle of winter and brave icy roads in order to dose at a pharmacy in uh, Edmonton. And we are working at tirelessly now here with NTS services to bring them to people and make them as accessible as possible for people. Thanks. And did you have a follow-up, Anna? I do. Um, because this is only offered, from my understanding, for patients who are already, you know, currently in treatment, they've tried out, it hasn't worked for them, so they're now trying this. How uh, can this, or are you expecting this to, you know, help reduce overdose deaths in the province? Well, thank you. Um, obviously, we've been working very hard at that. I mean, we uh, have been, um, you know, we've reduced opioid deaths in the province by forty-seven uh, percent since uh, since the the peak. Uh, I think, believe it was last uh, last November. So, um, you know, I've always said this: one death is one too many, and we're working very hard at uh, reducing those uh, numbers even further. But, you know, really it's about ensuring that we're providing options uh, to everyone. Um, you know, you're going to, you know, I always talk about what's known as the system of care. I know a lot of people want to focus on the word recovery, but you can substitute the word recovery for for holistic or human or whatever you want to put in there. But understand that it's a system of care where somebody's entering into the system. They then begin on a path, a journey, so that when they exit the system, they're in a better place than the, what they were before. So I don't know if any of the doctors want to supplement that. More of a technical. should be you, but anyways. Um, look, at the end of the day, a single puzzle piece isn't the answer. It's the puzzle. And a system of care is a puzzle. And so everything that we can do to add to that puzzle to make sure every piece is there then allows us to review what the outcomes of that puzzle is. So until the system is complete, that's the important thing. Too often we see uh, trying to evaluate, does this puzzle piece reduce deaths? The answer is all the puzzle pieces together are what we're going to see to reduce deaths. And the most important thing is that when somebody wants help, it's available immediately. And in most places around this country, and around the world for that matter, uh, treatment on demand is non-existent. And for the first time, 
uh, we're a, a jurisdiction, a province that has access on demand for help. And if that doesn't change everything, I don't know what will. Okay, we've got time for one more caller. So, operator, if you could please put through the last question, that would be great. Carly Robinson, City News. Hi there. I know that the the topic of the injectable opioid uh, agnostic uh, treatment program was in the news a lot around a a lawsuit and the ending of the program and not accepting new patients. I'm wondering if someone could explain patients who have been on this program what happens to them. And also, does this mean because we weren't accepting new patients who who required this high level of care uh, in Alberta, does this mean we're now allowing injectable drugs if it is the best thing for the patient? I think you have an answer. Thank you. you. Yeah, so thanks. So the uh, injectable OAT program um, that I I think you're referencing uh, was actually merged together. uh, So there were two programs, one in Edmonton and one in Calgary. Those were merged into the Calgary ODP program and the Edmonton ODP program, and people have been receiving care in those programs uh, throughout this last period. So uh, the intention of the Narcotic Transition Service is to uh, allow those uh, people to continue to receive care, but also for us, uh, as I was saying previously, to expand on access to care for people who need it. Uh, and so this uh, will include uh, different ways of receiving medications, including injection, if that's what's needed. Uh, but the, the intention of it, though, is not to have ongoing, uh, continual, you know, multi-year use of these medications, but rather it's to help a, pers- st- a person stabilize and then move over to evidence-based treatments that we know are, are able to be effective if the person's able to access them and has become stabilized. We're also missing out, I think, a little bit of the piece on uh, wraparound support services. So as we use these medications to help a person stabilize, we're also engaging them in in multiple domains and, uh, you know, hopefully able to help them connect with other supports medically, uh, help them connect with housing supports and other supports so that we're not just looking at this as a a pill or an injection to to save a person or to, to change the whole picture, but rather a combination of things to work together in a a holistic way in order to improve outcomes for that person. Thanks. And Carly, did you have a follow-up? Yeah, I have a political question for the minister. This is a lot of information being announced on the eve of an important political day in your party. I'm wondering if these moves have the backing of all uh, UCP leadership candidates. Um, Well, I can't speak for the candidates, but, uh, you know, we've uh, we've been working at this, all of these things. We've been working at it for a year, year and a half. Uh, So this is by no means um, something that is a surprise. We didn't come up with this on Monday, as an example, right? We've been working on this very hard. Uh, I know Dr. Tangay, Dr. Day, um, you know, we've been working on this. Um, but, yeah, I mean, look, I mean, there are a number of conversations I've had with uh, some of the leadership candidates, and they're absolutely supportive of uh, the mental health and addictions approach that we've been doing. Um, I can't say that I've spoken to every one of them, but uh, certainly I've spoken to, to most of them. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. That's all for today.